Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So this is the concluding sermon, looking at Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the Bible in John chapter 17. The first week, Jesus prayed for Himself. So if you've got needs, don't we all, feel free to pray for yourself. Weeks two and three, we looked at the longer section of where Jesus prays for believers, those who are already Christian. And this week, Jesus is going to pray for those who have yet to become believers. In the big picture, Jesus has been in His public ministry for three years, preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, performing miracles, and now He's just hours away from going to the cross, dying in our place for our sins. And He stops and He prays. And it just goes to show you that you've got to pray first, no matter what you're facing. And the bigger the obstacle, the bigger the issue, then all the more that we need to pray. And there are certain recurring themes or words in this prayer. Jesus uses the word glory or glorify nine times. The point is this, our lives are short. Our lives are brief, that God gives us only so many dollars, so many days, and we either waste or invest the life that God has given us. Oftentimes, we waste our life because we don't know what our purpose is. Where are we going? Why are we here? And when Jesus speaks of glory or glorifying, He's telling us that His life is lived with this mission, with this purpose in mind of living for the glory of God. And then He's going to pray for us today that we would choose to invest our life by living in such a way that is giving glory to God. Our dollars for God, our relationships for God, our careers for God, our family for God. So it's all for the glory of God and to the good of others. You see, if you live for the glory of God, you're going to make a significant impact in the lives of those around you. So Jesus is praying. We pick back up at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the believer's. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So let me pause. Do you believe in Jesus? Listen, this is amazing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is about to die. And He's looking down the corridor of history. And He's praying for you. You are on Jesus' heart. You are on Jesus' mind as He's preparing to go to the cross. He prays for the believers. He prays for those yet to be believers that all of them, verse 21, may be one. The language of unity. Another recurring theme throughout this prayer. You'll hear more about that in a moment. Father, just as You are in me and I am in You, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants His people to be one so that as we go out to invite others in, they get to meet the family and be a part of the family because, you see, it'd be hard to go out and say, 
you know, we really hate each other. We're mean to each other. You want to join? That's not really much of a sales pitch, is it? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is living for the glory of God the Father, and He wants you and me to live for the glory of God the Father. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Jesus here is praying for unity. Now, we're going to pause here a little while and talk more about unity and why this is so important that Jesus keeps repeating it. First of all, know this. Unity is godly. Division is demonic. And unity starts with God. Jesus prays here that they would be one, His people would be one, as, Father, you and I are one. First, this leads us to the doctrine of the Trinity. This is a view of God that only the Bible and only Christians hold. You know, there are many religions that would say we worship just one God. There are many who would say we worship many gods. Christianity alone believes the biblical truth of one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God is unified, relational in the Trinity itself, much less with us, and God is one. When Jesus here is talking to the Father, this is what He always does throughout eternity. It's relational. The, the, the idea of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is relational. There's, there's a oneness. And that is a pattern. That is a model for us. As believers, we gather in unity to fulfill Jesus' prayer and are showing something of the connectional unity of God. This is how we are to do our own families and the connection with our spouse in particular. I could tell you after 36 years of marriage that Lori and I are better together than me trying to do anything on my own. Together we can get a lot more accomplished than just one of us could. That's why we say you want a better marriage, you pray for and you pray with your spouse. So this is how the family is built. This is how the church family is built. Unity starts with God. So when we are not practicing godly unity, we are actually doing something that is demonic. You see, we are born into a world that is full of folly and pride and rebellion and division. And we think it's normal. It's not. It's, it's not normal. In heaven right now, there is no division, no disunity, no disagreement. So when we operate with God's grace in a unifying manner, we are demonstrating the character and the culture of the kingdom of God. So let's talk about two things that unity is not, and then two things that unity is. First of all, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Not everybody's the same. Let me put it to you this way. Christianity is a lot like a home, not a prison. In a prison, you have uniformity. Literally, you wear a uniform. 
Everyone dresses the same, has the same kind of bedding, has the same kind of square footage, has the same schedule, basically the same diet. How do I know this? You know, I was Lori's probation officer. Christianity is a home, not a prison. So within Christianity, there are going to be different cultures in different languages, different music styles. So we don't practice uniformity. People are going to dress differently, prefer different Bible translations, prefer a more contemporary style or a more traditional style or a blend of both. Unity is not uniformity. And number two, unity is not around methods. There's a difference between principles and methods. The Bible has principles that are timeless and unchanging, no matter, what the, no matter the generation. We have methods that are timely and changing. The principles never change, the methods do. And sometimes what happens is people get confused and they think their method is God's principle. So if you're not doing it their way, you're not doing it God's way. Here's the example that I was alluding to earlier. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. That's the principle. What's the method? Homeschool, Christian school, public school, private school, charter school, which one's right? Proverbs 22 is train up a child in the way they should go. The point is, is your kid growing in godliness? That has much less to do with school choice, much more to do with what happens at the home. So you can have a diversity of method because unity is around the principle, not around the method. So now what unity is? Number one, Unity is God at the center, God first. The way you get unity is to have God at the center. Again, let's look at a marriage relationship. The secret is if God is at the center and I'm getting closer to God and Lori is getting closer to God, then we're getting closer to each other. If God is at the center, and everybody is getting closer to, the, to God, then as a byproduct, we are getting closer to each other. That's why we can't put anything else at the center or it all blows up. We can't even put unity at the center to get along just for the sense of getting along. God has to be at the center. And if we're not getting along with someone else, then God is not at the center of both of our lives. God has to be at the center. And number two, unity is the result of loving, humble service. What is Jesus just hours away from doing? Dying on the cross for our sins. That's loving. God loves you. How do we know that? Because Jesus died for you. This is love. Love is what you do, not just what you say. And it's service. It's acts of service. Jesus has come to serve, and He does so humbly. So the key to unity is for His people, and whether it's in a relationship, a business, a ministry, a church, a family, 
to act in a loving, humble, serving way. <laughs> Let me just say this. I've never seen a massive all-out war between the humble and the humble. You never go, wow, those humble people are killing each other. That doesn't happen. It's the proud and the proud. But let me also say this about unity. When people pull together, their energy is multiplied. That's why Jesus prays for our unity in Him, because there is power in our unity for Him. And look what happens just in a church setting. Sins are forgiven. People are baptized. Marriages and families are honored. Lives are changed and transformed. And get this. We are 2,000 years removed from Jesus' prayer, and Christianity is the biggest movement in the history of the world. More people worship Jesus than anyone in the history of the world. The Bible has been translated more than any book in the history of the world. The church exists in more nations than any organization in the history of the planet. No one is as big as Jesus. No thane is as big as Jesus' church. And you know why? Because when people pull together under the will of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to the Word of God, that gets multiplied. All right, next verse. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. We glorify God because He is glorious. Everyone lives for the glory of something or someone. We choose Jesus. The good news is that Jesus wants us to know Him and to live for His glory. This one who is in glory then came down in humility, and after He dies, He rises, and where does He return? Back into glory. What verse 24 is saying is that God came from heaven to earth. That's humility. From earth to a cross. That's greater humility. And then God went into a grave. That is unprecedented humility. And then God conquers the grave and ascends back into glory. So think about this. Right now, in the presence of Jesus, the angels are singing, the departed saints are worshiping, and our prayers and praise and singing and our voices join with their voices. That means this life is a much bigger deal than you think, and Jesus is a much bigger deal than you can think. And then these final two verses of Jesus' prayer. This is crazy. Jesus is praying His longest prayer, and then He ends it by describing how we are His rescue crew. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What is Jesus' end goal? To glorify God through love. 
Jesus, verses 1 through 5, prays for himself. Jesus, 6 through 19, prays for believers. And then Jesus, verses 20 to 26, prays for others to become believers. 26 verses, he prays. He prays for everyone, and he constantly prays against one thing, the world. The world that is in line with Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he is referred to as the God of this world. But at the cross of Jesus, Jesus does battle with Satan and darkness and evil and hell. And at the cross, not only is your sin forgiven, your relationship with God restored, but the demonic forces that seek to own your life are disarmed. So Jesus goes to the cross and He dies and He substitutes Himself in our place for our sins so that your guilt can be assuaged, so that your sin can be atoned for. Jesus here in 26 verses, 17 times He uses the word world. What does He mean by that? The New Testament has a variety of meanings for the use of the word world. It can mean races, nations, cultures, but here and elsewhere where Jesus is praying against it, world is that which is a system, a fallen system that is counterfeit. God is the creator. Satan is the counterfeiter. God is a king who sets up a kingdom. Satan is a false king who tries to set up a false counterfeit kingdom. This world is the counterfeit. You see, cultures come, values come, morality comes, decision-making comes from one of two places, down from heaven or up from hell. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants His culture to be our culture. His values to be our values, His morality to be our morality. And the reason why so many of us have struggles is that we keep pulling hell up into our lives. Jesus prays against that for us on our behalf. Jesus is right now praying for you and me to not be defined by this world. And when there is conflict between the world and the Word of God, our job is not to remove the Word to support the world. Our job is to proclaim the Word for the blessing, benefit, and transformation of the world. And when we do that, you must understand this, there will be opposition. What do you do then? You keep on loving. You keep on serving. You respond to hatred with love, respond to lies with truth. So if you're speaking the truth in love, then their issue is really with God. But don't let them have an issue with you because you're not loving. Lastly, Jesus says that our mission is in this world. You're supposed to be here. But you can't fully make it in this world without His Word. You see, God's Word is what helps us navigate this world. And that's missionary language. 
Jesus is sending us so that others may know of Him. Some are sent across the world, some are sent across the street, some are sent across a cubicle or apartment complex or a lunchroom. Why? Why are you here? Because there are people who don't know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, He wants you to tell them who He is and what He has done for them so that they might meet the King and become citizens of the kingdom. As the praise team comes back up, let me ask, do you know Jesus? Do you know right now He is seated on a throne high and exalted. The angels are crying out. The departed saints are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's praise, it's celebration, it's worship, it's all about Him. So even now, we're going to lend our voices. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing and celebrate and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that what you do and how you give us your love is amazing. Your life, where we would settle. Your power, where we don't know where else to turn. Your grace and forgiveness when we make a mess. And the courage then, Lord, to live a life that glorifies you. To let others see you at work in us. And then the opportunity to let you be known. In Jesus' name. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.